Thank you for listening to the Patrick Ely podcast. As always, it's for entertainment purposes only, a work of fiction, not for financial or medical advice. I ran into an interesting piece of news yesterday that touches on the real estate industry, the stock market, and the general economy. Airbnb is a publicly traded company. Most of us have stayed in an Airbnb. It's an online company that facilitates homeowners renting not only vacation rentals, but everything down to a room in their house to customers around the world. I've been using this company for at least a decade. And when it first came out, I thought it was a nearly perfect service. The same way I felt about Uber when I started using it in Chicago. Since then, to me, it's become a casualty of entering the stock market as a publicly traded company. When Airbnb first came out, it functioned in a very similar way to Yelp. With Yelp, when it first came out, you could search any area that you wanted to go and find restaurants that you might not otherwise find or even know exist that were highly rated by patrons of these restaurants. You could almost guarantee you were getting a good meal, and you could also anticipate what the price was going to be of your meal. You could see almost all of the menus. It was great. With Airbnb, the system aggregated the rentals that would normally be spread across websites like Realtor.com and also Craigslist and also individual local travel services. Here you could find more or less everything that was in an area. You could also interact in only the best ways with the owner of the property rather than having a middleman. By best ways, you could do it via text and via message and you didn't have to get on the phone and have awkward conversations that could be confusing. Airbnb also in many ways guaranteed the quality of your stay and it featured lots of reviews by people who had rented in the past so you could see what kind of experiences were there. If a homeowner consistently provided awkward stays or poor service, then that would be shown on Airbnb. And also people who really did a top-notch job providing, providing a comfortable rental would get like badges that would say how they were consistently well-reviewed. Airbnb made it as easy, if not easier, than getting a hotel in an area. And in getting a rental rather than a hotel, you could have things like a yard or a kitchen. You could also stay in the middle of an area if you were, say, being a tourist or sightseeing and really get the culture rather than being in the hotel district. Because it was an online website, their overhead as a company was extremely low for what they were doing. The money that you saved finding a rental that fit your exact needs offset the small Airbnb fees that they charged to facilitate the service. So most of the time, if you wanted you could find an Airbnb cheaper than a hotel that was comparably equipped as far as amenities or how nice it was. For me, those advantages were really similar to using an Uber instead of a cab in Chicago. Cab drivers were shady, no offense. The cabs were nasty, they smelled, they were chaotic. And now all of a sudden, you could get a, a real driver, a real person whose name was identified on the app, and they were also given reviews, and that person was incentivized to give you a nice experience, let you listen to what music you wanted to listen to, keep the car clean, give you water if it was a really nice uh, driver. In fact, on the app, 
oftentimes you could pick the type of vehicle that you wanted to ride in instead of it being a complete crapshoot as far as the horror that you might find in a cab that you hail coming out from a bar. Those cabs were also pretty nasty for dates. I mean, people in Chicago are used to the public transit system and cabs, but if you wanted to pick somebody up to go to a nice restaurant, you could ride in a relatively nice, clean vehicle. And if you had a big group, you could even get the equivalent of a limo through UberXL. Now, what happened to both of them is as they gained success for offering real value to the marketplace, they got big enough that there was interest in them as a public company traded on the stock market. When they did that, both companies were then under the requirement that they had to do any and everything to increase profits year over year for their shareholders. Both Uber and Airbnb progressively raised their fees. And in Uber's case, they stopped paying their drivers as well. It made it harder and harder to make a living driving for Uber and less and less advantageous due to the higher prices if you had a choice to take a cab or to take an Uber over a cab. They also continued to expand their services. The mechanism by which this was happening was shareholders and and board meetings would take place with the shareholders' opinions. Pardon me. Board meetings would take place with shareholders, and because there wasn't a clear route to greater profits, even though the company was already a profitable one, they would come up with schemes like, let's offer helicopters. And the pitch to the shareholders is, we're going to need more cash so that we can make this investment, and then we expect it to pay off in three years. And they got, they got into autonomous driving, all different kinds of vehicles. And what happened is they dug a hole where it became impossible for them to make profits. So they became a complete tool of speculation. People who thought they might one day figure it out would continue to buy shares or hold. And other people who were looking at the company as a pure current value got out, just like riders who stopped using it as frequently. Now, Airbnb, uh, pardon me, Uber has become entrenched in a lot of communities and they're still used, especially by upper class people. But as far as providing a a convenient service for your everyday person, which is what they had imagined themselves as when they would first present themselves as a company when they were private, they became a tool of, for lack of a better word, the elite. As Airbnb got, went public, they, they started charging higher and higher fees on both ends, like the percentage that they would take from Airbnb owners and the fees that someone who had to stay would have to pay. When you once were able to get an Airbnb for 70 or $80 for a night, you now were paying 70 or $80 for their charges along with cleaning fees. These cleaning fees were, and still are a major point of contention because the cleaning fees, especially for like a house type Airbnb are often in the hundreds of dollars. And yet Airbnb owners have strict policies about cleaning before you leave. That created the first real gap for Airbnb in terms of quality and convenience compared to any hotel. At hotels, you don't have to clean up before you leave. You're a bit of an asshole if you leave it completely trashed, your room. But you leave whatever you want there and the cleaning service takes care of it. At Airbnb, they wanted you to wash dishes, wash clothes, fold sheets, leave the place spotless. If you didn't, you would be fined or they would remove part, if not all, of your deposit. And this was in addition to the cleaning fee. When Airbnb went public, they also started working with investors to 
have offshoot companies where they would purchase homes as a conglomerate for the purpose of using them as an Airbnb. And they would go into communities that were private, full of homeowners, and buy enough houses that they had more or less created a hotel in the middle of a, a neighborhood. During the pandemic, the real estate market took off because of people's moving from urban areas to suburban areas. And many people who had the cash laying around bought Airbnbs privately to cash in not only on value appreciation, but the fact that a lot of people were traveling and getting Airbnbs where they didn't have to adhere to specific COVID policies like they might in a hotel. Vacationing was bigger than ever within the United States during COVID. So many people were buying Airbnbs that it started taking inventory out of the housing market, which during the pandemic, during the shuffle, and during the flood of cash through the loans you didn't have to pay back as small businesses and the, the monthly payments or weekly, bi-weekly payments that private citizens were getting, the negative effect of this loss of inventory was largely ignored as far as Airbnb being a factor, and investors were pretty darn happy with the returns they were getting as far as appreciation on their homes especially if they had regular renters of these properties. What we've seen now in June of 2023 is that people are traveling less, inflation has hurt individuals' budgets, and because of rising interest rates in the housing market, there's a lot less buying and selling going on of residential properties. Couple that with a loss in value of commercial properties, and a lot of folks who bought extremely expensive property hoping that it was going to be a profitable Airbnb are not only having a hard time filling the place with renters, but they're also having an increasingly hard time just paying their mortgage on this extremely expensive property, regardless of if they had a low interest rate or not. Some numbers came in and in some major urban markets, Airbnb profits and use is down as much as 50%. Now, what's interesting about that is that within the greater real estate market, we have an impending housing crisis. And that's because homes have gotten so expensive that they have priced out the lower and middle classes. There are no such thing as starter homes in the majority of the country where people are actually interested in living. The real estate activity going on is more a shuffling of wealthy people's assets. Now, a byproduct of what's happened over the last couple of years is rent prices have been soaring as well. So you've got a whole class of people that are getting priced out of any and all housing. Airbnb is so big that they can directly affect the housing market. And a consequence of this in the near to mid future is that we start seeing people dumping their rental properties, like we saw people dumping property in the 2008 housing crisis. And if that happens, there'll be a flood of available properties into the housing market. That flood of available properties would drive at least temporarily, the price of homes down. And that could result in a lot of people who have been priced out of the housing market to be able to afford a home. And that would be a really wonderful thing for the economy because of the current wealth gap. That would also mean the end of Airbnb as a desirable stock and a potential for the company to be imploding only to leave room for another more efficient company to appear. And that wouldn't be a good or a bad thing in the stock market. There's only trades. I've got a little fire starter in me, and I would probably enjoy the chaos that Airbnb imploding would cause. I'd also like to not see friends and family 
paying outrageous rental prices and allow people to actually be truly smart with their money. With rental prices so high, people think that they're stupid for paying rent when also buying a house would be a bad investment right now as well, probability-wise. Reason being is there are cycles in the housing market and there are inevitable crashes. And if you buy at the top of a bull run, you're going to lose money rather than make money on an investment. Couple that with high interest rates that we don't know when they will go down, where we don't know that they will go down. And you're set up for many people who don't have a lot of money and save all of their pennies to put it into a real estate investment. And now they're just broke. And this American economy, the same as any other, doesn't do well with their working class broke. I'm interested to see what the next real buying opportunity for the working class will be. If someone is playing the real estate market strategically, they are fine renting for a fair price and investing their money in the current economic opportunities, building and building those cash reserves so that they can put a nice down payment on a house when the conditions are right. The current conditions don't psychologically set anybody up for making a smart investment. So if nothing else, seeing rental prices for long-term housing like apartments go down, that would be a wonderful thing. A problem to me with many companies going public is they stop providing as much value through their product line to consumers as they once did. And on top of that, they always pass the extra expenditures onto consumers. No matter how you present it, whether it's a tax, a fee, a down payment, a deposit, an interest rate, those things all inevitably get passed on to consumers. And those costs being passed on to consumers is what creates recession and revolt. Monarchies throughout history maintain their power up until they tax their poor and their working class to such a high degree that they stand up to it and they overturn the people in power. There's a frustrating example that I see in California, and that's with our gas prices and tax. Gavin Newsom pretends that he's good on gas and petroleum policy because he has extra taxes on those companies, like gas companies like Chevron or Arco. However, if you look at gas prices in California compared to the rest of the nation, they're some of the most expensive. The 50 cent tax, for instance, per gallon that he places on gas is not something absorbed by the gas company and then taken from the company's annual profits. They charge the same amount as they do everywhere else in the country, plus those taxes. So they're immediately absorbed by the consumer at the pump. The only effective policy in terms of not allowing price gouging by these companies would be to restrict the amount of cost to the consumer per gallon, whether that means forcing companies to charge less or not allowing the government to charge extra taxes. If you look at the details of gas, most of these companies actually don't upcharge people at the pump all that much as far as what the gas company itself is paying to procure and refine fuel. The fluctuations that you see are the cost of getting the fuel to a given place. For instance, if you're in the Midwest, most of the fuel is going to have to come from the east or the west coast, and then it's got to be put on 
gas and oil trucks to be driven out into the middle of the country. California is extremely close to receiving and refining their gas and oil. So if anything, from that standpoint, California's fuel should be cheaper for consumers. The other thing that dictates price of that fuel outside of transportation of it are the regulatory fees and taxes that come from a given state government. Now, the modern American and consumers are pretty stupid. I don't think there's any denying that. Look at what they've allowed in this country across the board. But even a stupid person knows when something just doesn't make sense. And as the prices of gas in California get higher and higher, no matter what Gavin Newsom says, people aren't going to believe him anymore that the changes he's making are actually better for the state. That doesn't mean that he won't continue to have support for gouging the citizens of California. A lot of the voting comes from the Los Angeles and San Francisco areas. And those areas are made up in large part of industries around the performing arts. Think about an actor, whether they're a good or a bad person, they're conditioned to take direction from people and they're conditioned to deliver whatever sort of information or performance is asked of by a director or a producer because they know if they don't give them what they want, they'll lose their job. And a good actor is, once they get on set, they're able to snap into character and change direction at the top of a hat the drop of a hat. No matter how you slice it, conditioning changes a person's neurology and thus changes a person's behavior. That's why you go to practice if you're an athlete, so that you'll be able to do the things you practice in the game. And an actor, afraid to lose their standing in success that affords them a nice life, when they identify, let's say, with the far left or the Democratic Party in California, is going to be apt to agree with whatever sounds good and is parroted by the people around them that are running things. It's simply an extension of taking direction on the stage. And the other big money in California, as far as voters in those two major cities, is big tech. And big tech gets a lot of control over our lives and our psychology. And in going along with the government, in many ways, they're able to solidify that position of power where... They know, for the most part, what they're doing. They're not making an honest living, but boy, are they making a good living. And if the government will continue to protect them and allow them to do that, allow, for instance, YouTube to censor people in an extreme and biased way and deliver people advertisements that don't just sell them products that they don't need, but sells them products that will continue to make money for adjunct retailers, who advertise with them like pharmaceutical companies, right? Like you got to keep people sick for them to keep needing pharmaceuticals. If you get everybody healthy, they won't need all of those pills. So by conditioning people to remain sick and dependent on medicine, everybody makes a lot of money. So those people are happy to go along with whatever the public can suffer through without completely losing their minds because that keeps them protected and keeps them raking in profits for minimal contribution to society. If I were an investor, I would not buy Airbnb stock right now, even though the aftermath of these reports coming out about them losing a lot of money in some of their major markets hasn't affected the stock price very much. Something that you often see in the stock market and trading, however, is a trap. For instance, with Airbnb, on the days of this news coming out, there were initial sell-offs. People selling in fear and also big money selling to encourage that fear. And then as the stock price 
dips, they buy back in. And then people think, oh, okay, everything's good. Retail investors buy in, they pump up the stock a little bit. If companies own a million shares and the stock price even goes up a dollar, they've now made a million dollars. And then once they've been able to take that quick grab of cash, they go ahead and sell their shares, the big money does, because they know that Airbnb is no longer a good investment. And then all of the people who got faked into buying back in, thinking that the company was going to be okay, lose boatloads of cash, and then the upper class absorbs that cash. Now, that doesn't mean that Airbnb won't be resilient and not take a big loss, but their price action and the news surrounding Airbnb is probably something that would be good to watch if you are trying to invest wisely in the market for a home or trying to navigate the real estate market for some other reason. Also, these gas taxes in California are bullshit. Also, you should listen to long-form interviews, especially in the form of podcasts for people running for president that aren't Trump or Biden. Check out Robert F. Kennedy Jr., Vivek Ramaswamy, and even Ron DeSantis because knowledge is power. And the more you know about these people, the more of an informed decision you can make.